great to sing and worship our good God, to fellowship together. I'm praising Him for our assembly here today, to study His Word, to fellowship, to pray together. Uh, as He's commanded to in Holy Scripture, we don't take lightly the gathering of the saints, the, the work that the Lord has called us to in these days that we're in. And we're thankful to um, be able to, to do this, and we pray to continue um, Turn in your Bibles with me to the letter of Ephesians. You'll find it in the New Testament there. and um, We're continuing our sermon series. We've been enjoying the journey the Lord's taken us on through this beloved letter of Paul uh, to the believers in the region of Ephesus. Uh, Ephesians, we're in chapter 4, and today we will mind down into verse 13. Had intended that we might spend time with both verse 13 and 14, and I was wrong. Um, <laughs> God is so much good stuff for us here today and much more in store for next week. And so I'm just thankful for uh, the, the joy it is to, to continue to study together. Paul's been emphasizing God's design to appoint pastoral elders, shepherds to teach and lead his blood-bought people. Uh, the key, a big key of that is the growing and maturing of God's people as we're going to see Paul emphasize today. I want to read to you an opening before we pray, verse 11 through 14, for some context uh, surrounding our verse. Ephesians 4, verse 11, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Father in heaven, we pray that you would be glorified by our attendance here today that you would be magnified, not by our outer actions, but by our inner thoughts, words, um, that you would be truly the aim of our living, of our worship. Uh, Father, I pray that you would just do a mighty work in us uh, in, in and through your word, that I'd be faithful to preach it, Boldly that you would be not only in the preaching, but in the hearing to remove distraction, to remove excuse. That, that for some, Lord, maybe we're on a trajectory for many years, set in our ways, but that today you want to unseat that. You want to bring conviction. You want to bring growth and maturity. And I pray, Lord, you take us to a new place, that we would not leave the way we came in. Um, Father, that you would grow us, mold us, and shape us, conform us into Christ for all of your purposes and for all of your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul says in verse 13, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Let's look at the first part of this verse together. There's a beautiful unity that the Lord has given those who belong to Him, who who have been bought by Christ's blood, who are members of the church. Paul has already made it clear, essentially clear, in places like where we just were in Ephesians 4, 4-6. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called, 
to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We who are the church are one. We are a united group, a family, the body of Christ. There are not many churches. There are not many people of God. There is one body of believers, one redeemed, one elect. We must see that God does something supernatural when He saves us. He binds us together as one. We who are many, we who are diverse, are one. Paul said in about this beautiful unity that God has given us in Christ, that it is something we are to maintain, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, was his words in, in chapter 4, verse 3, that we are to make every effort to, to have urgency to maintain this unity. Quick, urgent, making every effort, not not making excuses, not being passive, not allowing hurts to fester, but being united, being together. You can't maintain something unless you already have it. And we've spoken about that clarity, that the Lord gives us our unities, and then we are called to maintain it. Unity is what we have because of the work of Christ. He took on our sin, our guilt. He, we were given His righteousness, His perfection, so that we are reconciled to God. We have this not because of anything that we've done, but only what Christ has done for us. Only because of God's grace are we given unity in the body of Christ. We can't earn our way into unity. Church, this is something to cherish, something to fight for. But what is interesting, now all that's been said in recent verses, what is interesting about verse 13 is the unity that Paul is referring to here is not the unity just mentioned that we're given in Christ that we are to maintain and live out. No, listen carefully. Until we attain, this is something to be attained, to attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. He's saying this is a unity we're not given. We don't start with it. We work towards it. When you are saved, you don't have this yet. It's beginning and it's building. And we are to be committed to being equipped by our shepherds in the Word to acquire it and grow in it. Church, look with me closely. The word faith here in verse 13. This is not saving faith. This is not trust in Christ, belief into Christ that he's speaking of. This reference of faith here is the theological content of Christianity. It it is the doctrine of what we believe. And when he says knowledge of the Son of God, church, we've, we've run into many places where we talk about knowing God, There is a knowing God that is relational. Because of Christ, we now have a relationship with God. We know Him. We're not His enemy. We're not not separated from Him. We know Him. But that's not the knowing we're talking about here. This is actually talking about knowledge. About real wisdom of understanding truth. The truths of God. I'm growing in my understanding of the truths of God. Paul says it this way in Philippians 3.10. Listen carefully so you can catch the nuance here. 
that I may know him, he says, and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paul isn't saying here he wants to know Jesus like he doesn't know him. No, he's already saved. He doesn't need to attain a personal relationship. So what he's talking about here is a knowing Christ more, knowing and maturing spiritually so that the maturity he would grow to would be a greater level of faithfulness just as Christ showed us in his faithfulness and suffering and sacrifice. The pursuit of sound doctrine, of biblical theology, is so critical to how we are to grow and mature. Sadly, it's become all too common in many modern churches where the focus is not growing in sound doctrine and theology and the study of God's Word. It's just gathering a crowd and keeping that crowd happy and and in attracting and managing the people. The problem is just this. When the church doesn't concern itself with the fullness of God's truths, it will only feed on milk, and it will never grow to, to know how to eat meat. We're going through this with our little nine-month-old foster baby, Mario, right now. and He's in that transition stage, and he's, he's a little slow to get into... The idea of food in his mouth and chewing and swallowing, he just prefer the bottle. But we can't just keep him on the bottle because he needs to mature. He needs to introduce those new layers to his diet so that he's developed correctly, right? And so th- this is an important part of why we need to be focused on and working on growing in doctrine, growing in our understanding of God's truths. When people are satisfied to be in circles of faith or in churches where this is not a priority, their faith remains shallow. And I know many of you know this because it's part of your testimony. You you were in places of of worship or seasons of life where you just didn't know what it was to really mature. For many of our own people who've been long in our own church, there's one of my joyful things to hear from some of our long-standing members is, I know the Lord, I know His truths, Far more than I ever did. Who God is. My worship, my life is different. It's maturing. My worship, my testimony, it's growing. We need this church. We need it not only for ourselves, but for the testimony of the church, for the training up of the next generation. This is an essential thing that we must understand and do. Over 12 years ago, the Lord ordained our leadership to begin to have a more united view, a conviction for these things, and a willingness to unplug many of the things our church was once known for that was a distraction from these things, of studying and maturing in God's Word, of making disciples. By God's grace, we we just said, we, we want to be the church that the Lord is defined in Scripture. And so we went to the Word, and we made changes. And it was painful, it was hard, but by God's grace... Look at what he's done. Look look at how he's grown us. To bring us into agreement. To bring us into unity. There there was a survey we did over a decade ago. We polled the church. And 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 one of the things the surveyor came back and told us is like, what your people believe, what they think you're about, is all over the map. And we're just like, this is a massive problem. 
that must be corrected. A couple years ago, when our, when our elders rewrote our, our bylaws and, and did much work to refine our statement of faith, our confession, we had a unanimous agreement by then on what we believed, who we were, and what we were to do. Unanimous. Not one dissenting vote. What, what, praise God for the unity of the faith in the clarity of Scripture, in that Reformation, one of the things that was really a joy for us was in a prayer, Lord, let us not come up with something new, but to see how solid what we were seeing in Scripture was also what the historic tenets of the Christian faith were teaching, the historic confessions of our faith, the strong theologians and pastors who had come before us. We're in agreement in these things. There's a unity in the faith of the knowledge of God that we must cherish, focus on, and grow in. I had a, a sobering conversation with a minister years ago, getting to know this gentleman, and, and he was kind of observing the beginnings of our Reformation. And he said, Josh, man, you guys are really focused on theology. And he's like, I, I've been out of seminary 20 years. I don't think we've talked about or done any theology since I got out of seminary. And my heart just broke. Just thinking, what, what are you doing with your people? Do you not see the command again and again in Scripture to equip the saints for the work of the ministry that we would be growing in doctrine and unity of what God's Word teaches and what we are to believe and do with that? Will you pray with me that as a church family that we prioritize and continue to work towards unity of the faith to have it, attain it, keep it, mature in it. May our faith grow and mature as we study God's Word together. May the muscles of our faith, church, swell. May we get yoked in God's Word. <laughs> and, and in that, that those muscles would, would, would be trained properly. Have you ever seen a bodybuilder who just trained weird and their body just looks weird? They taught muscles just to do weird stuff? Like, no, biblical, what God wants this to look like. That it's beautiful and it's good and it honors Him. How much real-time effort are you personally putting in to growing in your knowledge of sound doctrine? Do you see that this is training and learning that is not optional? Do you see that your prioritizing midweek gathering and Sunday mornings is a key part of God's design for you for this? That you're not to take lightly. You're not to be here haphazardly. You're not to say, hey, I think we'll be okay without it. Some of the guys that I'm discipling right now, I've met with for, in just a few weeks, it will be a, a one year through Herman Bovink's uh, systematic, essentially, theological writings. Deep, heavy, old school, solid stuff. And the comment that I'm getting back from these guys, and that's been a joy for me, is how much review it has been for us. Why? Because for the last few years, they've been learning these things in midweek. Through, through a gathering that majority of our church attends and is growing in. That, that look at what God's doing and may we continue to grab hold of that as a priority. That you would see a God call in your life to be studying and growing in these things. That you would lean on your shepherds. You would lean on your group leaders. The more mature believers in your life. To ask questions. To study. To vet what you're reading. Oh, please don't just go to a random bookstore and pick books. Man, so much of it's nonsense. 
that you would, you would vet it. You would understand who's this person, what do they stand for, what are they representing? Is it biblical? Is it sound? That you wouldn't be out on this journey on your own. That will create an island for yourself. It's not the way it's meant to be done. Ask mature believers, lean into us. Let us coach you in this process. Seek counsel in these areas. When you reach crossroads, ask, am I about to honor God with this decision? That that's my priority. I belong to Him. Shepherds, help me seek the Word and what is, what is biblical. Where do I have freedom here? Where am I commanded by God to do what He wants me to do here? Remember, when you do this, you're not just doing it for yourself. You do it for the body. For who we are to be as the body of Christ. And that's Paul's emphasis here. Look with me now at the second part of the verse. That we are to all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Church, see with me, Paul's overwhelming emphasis here is Christian maturity. Spiritual maturity. The emphasis of the work of the church in these days that God's given us under the sun is to help mature the saints in spiritual maturity. One of my favorite verses that so clearly speaks to this call of God on our days is Colossians chapter 1.28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The word mature here is the same Greek word we see in our scripture today, Ephesians 4.13. That we are to grow into mature manhood. The Greek word means complete or perfect. A call to completeness, to perfection. Jesus spoke this way in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let me, let me just pause real quick. As you're hearing that, you might be going, wait, wait, hold on. Is that, is that right? Because what's happened is Christianese, Christian culture, the world's culture, has infiltrated our thinking and has brought statements, proclamations, and some of these different kind of lines of thinking that impact the way we think about it. And so we've done away with this idea of a call to perfection. And, and we, we uh, grab onto grace, and it becomes this very permissive thing. No, the call on our lives is perfection. The standard is the holiness of God. Let us not be guilty of putting that away, of somehow saying, no, it's something less. No, no, Jesus, tell me, tell me if this is not clear. You must be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. That's the bar. That's the line. That's the goal. Let me just ask and answer the question here and walk this with you for a minute. Can we be morally perfect in the power of Christ? The answer is yes. God's Word tells us that the Lord provides a way to flee from every temptation. 
1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation He will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Our call is to holiness, is to Christ-likeness, mature manhood, holy perfection. That's the bar. That's the call. Don't ever lower the standard in your life. Now, do we ever attain a true level of moral perfection this side of glory? The answer is no. And then now you can breathe. The answer is no. Why? Sadly, the work of the flesh is that it's at war with the Spirit. That there's a battle happening. Each one of us that belong to Christ is a war that wages. And we don't fight that war perfectly every day But that doesn't mean, now get this, you are to stop pursuing perfection, completeness, and maturity. The call, the command is still the same. Yes, we will fall short of holiness regularly. But this does not negate the command of the Lord or the emphasis of Paul that we are to be working every day to mature into Christ-likeness. See, Too many of us are guilty of receiving the grace that comes with salvation and then we just throw the whole thing out the door. And we just go, look, I'm good. And I just want to sit on that. No, you are called to be maturing every day. Working out. Growing. What is the aim of that maturity? Paul says, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Christ who is in every sense the perfect man, truly and fully without sin. Hebrews 4.15 is clear to say, Jesus, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. But when Paul is talking about the priority of spiritual maturity, understand this is also called sanctification. What is sanctification? Big theological word. Sanctification is the process of something being made holy. It's exactly what this verse is talking about today. Now, there are a couple different ways sanctification is applied in our theology, in our understanding of Scripture. So let's take a quick second to make sure we've got that correct. The first, there is a very real sense in which all of God's elect have already been sanctified in your salvation when you're saved. You're sanctified. 1 Corinthians 6.11 You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. In our salvation, our spiritual rebirth, there is holiness. A sanctification, watch this, that is absolutely needed or there would be no salvation. Why? Because the holy God will not lower His standard to have fellowship with us. His standard must be met. Perfection in us must happen if we are going to have eternal fellowship with God. How does that happen? Jesus. Because He takes on our sin and guilt and He gives us, lays on us His perfection, His holiness, His righteousness. So now when the Holy God sees us, He sees Christ's perfection and we're in. In that way, you are sanctified, believer. You're sanctified in your salvation. Okay? There's also a very real sense, though, in which we who are saved 
while we're still on earth, are being progressively sanctified. That's the focus of Paul's words today. A great place we see this is in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The maturity Paul is saying the church is to prioritize in our passage today is we who belong to Christ are maturing in Christ-likeness. We're going to dig thoroughly through this, but let me point out the third kind of sanctification that we will have in a very real sense. We will have it one day. We will be sanctified. Revelation 21, 27. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. One day we will be glorified and sin will have no more influence or presence anymore. Church, what a day it will be to be in glory with the Father, sanctified fully, finally, in every way, to enjoy the radiant glory of God. Amen. While we are not in charge of the day we are sanctified in our salvation, watch this, and we're not in charge of the day that God calls us into glory to be forever sanctified in His presence without sin, the presence of sin, we're not in charge of either of those, we are charged with what we do daily in progressive sanctification, in our maturing unto holiness, unto Christ-likeness. This is Paul's emphasis over and over in the New Testament Scriptures that agrees with today's verse. Romans 6.19 For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Christ-likeness, holiness. Do you see, church, and I could do this all morning, how prevalent, how regular the New Testament call is to perfection. The life of the believer. Church, we need to see God's holy will for us in these days, in this lifetime He's entrusted to us, that we are really actively growing in spiritual maturity. So I want to consider, I want to take time this morning to really delve into how. How do we do this? What are the provisions God's given us to do this? The command on you and on the church is to do this faithfully, daily, regularly. It's time to work out. What does that look like? What are the tools He's given us to do that? Okay, the first is glorious. The first is the Holy Spirit. We must be completely dependent on the power and work of the Holy Spirit that God has put within each of us who belong to Him if we are going to grow in spiritual maturity. Paul makes this clear in places like Galatians 3.3, Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Challenging believers who clearly are saved by God's providence, the power and the work of the Holy Spirit, and now are moving into these realms or old school thinking of like, so now it's up to me to be righteous and, and, and to do that work. No, you're dependent on the Spirit. 
Paul's point is there's no amount of manual, self-driven effort to obey, to serve and honor God that will do. You are completely desperate for the work of the Holy Spirit within you to work every day. So don't go to work, church, as a result of our time together today on your own. You must be empowered daily, regularly by the Holy Spirit. It is the life source. It is the, 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 the guide to truth. The guide to conviction is the Spirit. And so I ask you, do you wake up every day realizing the power of whom God has blessed you with, the presence of the Holy Spirit, or are you guilty of ignoring the most precious relationship that you have? Where essentially the Spirit's on the shelf most of the time. You're going about your days with your own best effort. You're not walking in the Spirit. You're not led by the Spirit. The truths of the Spirit at work in you. We need to wake up and go to God in prayer. To tune into the Holy Spirit. So that we would walk with God, talk with God, and represent and grow with God in every part of our day. That prayer starts when we wake up and it continues throughout the day. That's why why the Scriptures call us to pray unceasingly. So that we're in tune with the Holy Spirit who is at work within us to refine and perfect and mature us. Think about what you're missing, Christian, to ignore the Holy Spirit, to be distracted with common life so much so you're ignoring the amazing work of the Holy Spirit in and through you. Paul builds on this incredibly important point in Galatians 5, 16-25. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I've warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. To say you belong to Jesus, to have the Spirit on board, and then to go about your days essentially completely tuned out is to miss the point of your days. And in that, the Holy Spirit wants to refine and and grow and mature you. We must be better in tune with the Holy Spirit in prayer, in time in the Word. This is the Spirit's Word to speak to you. Don't ask the Spirit to give you a word that's not here. The Lord's been clear to say this is sufficient, all you need. Ask the Lord to give you 
greater understanding of this word. It comes back to where we started, the maturing that we're to do, the shepherds teaching the saints, the walking together in, in these things. We are to cherish and utilize the power of the Holy Spirit far more than we do. Listen to Paul's words to the Romans in Romans 8, 5, and 6. For those who live according to flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Can I just ask you, just a way to test this, how often are you coming to the dinner table or walking into the room or bringing up conversation, but all you're talking about is the things of the flesh? The workday, the groceries, the happenings in the world, the, the, the neighbor's story, the, the, the dog thing, the whatever's going on. How often is what you're talking about the things of the Spirit? What you're learning and discovering in God's Word, how you see God at work, how He's the, the joy of this testimony, this opportunity to pray, the, 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 the confession of sin, the For to set your mind on the flesh is death, but to set your mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. What are the things of the Spirit? The truth. Oh, we need truth in a world full of deception and lies. A major way that God's sanctifying us is setting our minds on truth. We must not ignore and neglect the truth about who we are in Christ, that it would shape us and send us forward. When we understand the truth about who God is, the truth about who we are, the truth about this fallen world and the way sin works, we will be matured to, to think and act and interact with it differently. Let me just show you. If we are, and you understand, and you're, and you're grounded in the truth, that you are God's treasured possession, why would you be jealous for anything? If you understand the truth and are grounded in the fact that you are heirs to all things in Christ, why would you envy anything? If you understand that God is your beloved Father, why would you be afraid? If you are, understand that you are dead to sin in Christ, why would you choose to live in sin? So see with me that there's a transforming in the way we think. There's a transforming in the way we process. Transforming in the way the world comes at us with their temptations and their lies. Grounded in the truth of sound doctrine. The power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. To abide in Him. To trust in Him. Are people going to get sick from this virus? Yes. Are people going to die? Yes. That's happening and they are. Does that mean we are not to gather as the church and worship God? No. Why? Because we're responsible for the command He's given us. He's responsible for the decree that happens. And no amount of us circumventing what He's commanded us to do is going to change the outcome of our days. They were numbered before they began. Are we trusting Him? Are we walking in accordance with His Word? Can I ask you to, to constantly combat 
the fears, the temptations to, to act or think like the world, with the Word, with the Spirit, which will always be in agreement with the Word. The Holy Spirit is illuminating our minds to set our things on above, to renew our minds, to conform us. We're going to come back to that in a moment. Understand, Christianity is not about a semi-adjustment of your life. When the Holy Spirit is on board and you are in tune with the Holy Spirit, there is a transformation that happens. It's total. By God's grace, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit changes us from the inside out. Another essential way we are to mature into Christ's likeness is through trials. Scripture is clear over and over again. See, in our flesh, church, we see trials coming and we see them as a burden. But in the Spirit, you are to see trials as a gift from God to help you mature. To mature into Christ-likeness. Before you get all crazy with me and start throwing stuff, look with me at what James says in the opening words of his letter. James 1, verse 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See that call to perfection? The provision of God to lack nothing? Brothers and sisters in Christ, do you count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds? What does that mean? That means when that thing's coming at you and it's not what you wanted. It's not the way you wanted that to go. And maybe that thing coming at you is about to make things really hard. Maybe it's not just going to be for a season. Maybe it's going to be a lifetime thing. If you are viewing those trials through your flesh, you will not count them as joy. You will not treasure the work of sanctification that God is ordaining you about to go through for Christ-likeness. You are viewing those trials through the flesh. But if you view them through your identity in Christ one that is grounded in the truths of God's Word, you will count it all joy. This is huge. We need to see how important it is when we don't waste our trials, our hardships, our sufferings, and just wish them away because they're really hard. Because, man, this is not how I wanted this to go. And some of you are right in the middle of this in a number of ways. The job you're in is not what you thought it was going to be. The money you saved now is gone because of this thing going wrong. The, 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 your, your marriage is struggling. Your, your health is struggling. The, the kids are not where you want to. I mean, as shepherds, we get the privilege to sit with many of you in your hardest stuff. And so when I'm sitting with you, Matt or Robin, we're saying... We love you. You're not alone. 
know that we have a front row seat to really mean that. Why? Because just the night before, earlier that day, I'm sitting with someone who's going through as extreme, if not worse, of a thing that you're sharing with me. That your stuff's not the worst stuff and you're not the only one. As hard as it is, as gnarly as it is, Scripture's clear to remind us of this. That we would be reminded that these trials are God's appointment, that our days belong to Him, our lives belong to Him. And that at the end of the day, what we want is not for it all to go our way in the temple. We want to be used by God for His eternal purposes. Peter says in 1 Peter 4.12, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised as if something strange were happening to you by fiery, not little trials, fiery trials. But here's the problem. In Western America, modern America, we're all too often surprised. Why? Because we... We're very wealthy, and a lot of stuff works really conveniently and regularly for you. Do you realize how much you take for granted, how your car starts and gets you where you need to go? In a lifetime, I, I can't even count on one hand how many times I've been stuck on the side of the road. That's how privileged, that's how... That's how wealthy my life has been. The, the water that is, you're not worried is going to kill you. The, the medical care you have if something goes wrong, that's all around you. The, 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 the warmth, the, the working of power and AC, the, 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 the lack of threat of someone coming to break down your door and, and rape your family and hurt your children and, and kill and maim you. Like, we have it really, really, really good. Way more than we give credit. We're not grateful enough. And we don't do enough with the provisions we're given. And so we subscribe to this Western thinking that like life should just work. If I do right, then there should be right. And if I do wrong, then there should be consequences. But when I do right and it goes wrong, then I want my money back. But, that, but that's not what God's Word says it's going to look like. That's not what God's Word tells you that, that it is like for the most faithful. no. God's Word reminds you that the most faithful die and don't live a full life. They die for their faith. They're strung up. They're killed. They're murdered. They lose their family. They lose their jobs. They, lose, they go through great trials. Why? Because we're appointed to suffer in this very short life for the purposes of the gospel and the glory of God for eternity. Amen? Did you see that? That's what you're called to be part of we got to ditch the subscription to the American dream and climb into what God has called us to be and to have. So that when they come, we're not surprised. I mean, are you actively like working this muscle? In, 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 in my own maturing and growing in Christ, I've, I've learned to pray differently. And, and I pray regularly so that I wouldn't be surprised. So that if the phone rings in 20 minutes and I find out that my wife and my middle-born son and my first-born daughter all died today in a canyon at the junior high retreat. And now I'm a widowed father who has an eldest son, two adopted daughters, and a foster baby. That I'm, that I'm ready to embrace that call on my life for the days that He's ordained for me. 
that I wouldn't be surprised by it, that there wouldn't be a part of me that goes, no, 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 God, look at all I'm doing for you. Surely this isn't what you've called me to do. That's the Western, that's the other thing. Are, are we embracing trials for the, sake, for the sake of sanctification and the readiness to testify for God's glory? Whatever it is, it belongs to Him. And I'm ready, Lord. And so, but that's a muscle you got to practice flexing. That's a way of praying you got to do. And some of you are offended when you hear me pray. Some of you are offended when you heard me pray that way for the high schoolers a few weeks ago. When I said, Lord, we're not praying for their safety ultimately. We're praying that you would use them. And if some of them don't come home, then Lord, ready us for your perfect will to be done. And sometimes when you hear me pray that way, you're like, no, I don't really like that. No, no, let's pray for them all to get home safe. We, you can't finish there though. You finish there, then you're stuck in this other thing, and then you're surprised. And you're not living out of what God's called us to do. We've got to finish by giving it back. Lord, your will be done. Jesus modeled this for us. He's about to go through the worst of the worst, take on all of what's due, your past, present, and future sin. And he says, not my will, but your will be done. Let's go. That's our example. That's Christ-likeness. We've got to be climbing into that kind of prayer life. It all belongs to you, Lord. Paul does it too. I consider it all rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ. Every, every one of the best parts of my life belongs to you. That's what it means to be a Christian, to die to self and live for my Lord. Are you, are, you, are you maturing in these things? Church, you will suffer. If you're not suffering right now, it's on a bus on its way to your door. It's coming. But if we read Scripture correctly, if you understand God's priority for us, we will grow in spiritual maturity And then we will embrace God's hand in our suffering. We will see it as a gift for maturing in righteousness, for serving our Lord according to His appointment. Paul says it's a gift. Philippians 1.29 For it has been granted to you. It's been gifted to you. What's been gifted to us? For the sake of Christ, for His glory and name, that we should not only believe in Him. Belief is a gift but also suffer for His sake. That, that suffering is a gift. It's a gift that we get to steward for the namesake of our Lord Jesus. You will only see this rightly. You will only have a right view to prioritize this if you truly trust in and belong to God. If you don't value the spiritual maturity God wants for us, then why would you value the suffering and the training that comes with it to get there? See, see you can't say, God, I want to be more Christ-like. I really want that. Just like you can't say, I want to have an amazing body, but I don't want to change how I eat and I don't want to run. <laughs> there is going to be suffering. There is going to be a workout. There's going to be training to come with that transformation. Another essential way we are to mature into Christ's likeness is through the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Here it is again, church. See it all over the place. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God has truly given us a most precious and vital gift in His written Word. I need to ask you again for some self-evaluation. Do you really cherish the written Word of God?
I don't mean cherish it like in a nostalgic way. Like you cherish that trinket that your great-grandfather was passed down to you. Or that old picture of mom. You know, cherish it in a way like you couldn't get through your day without it. Like it's that important to you. It's that vital to your day, to your living. Is it the most precious thing you own? The most important thing you do with your day? You're like, no, no, Pastor, the most important thing I'm doing with my day is working to provide for my family or, or, or spending time with my kids to, to raise and shape them. I go, not if it's not first built on this. This is the most important thing you do in your day. And in some ways, I would argue biblically, you're not cherishing them to usurp this and skip over to other things. Do you prioritize time with God and His Word to depend on it, to shape you and send you? If not, do you see how then you're content to stay immature in Christ? John Piper said something a while ago. It rocked me. If you've been with me for a while, you've heard me quote this quote a number of times. But it applies to exactly what I'm saying right here. There is a spiritual diet without which no Christian can be strong, healthy, and fruitful. That is a diet of the Word of God. Don't starve the grace been given to you, church. If you do, you're going to begin to forget what it is to belong to Christ. You're going to begin to give yourself over to a temptation that's knocking at your door. You're going to find a way to separate yourself from the body. Disciples Church, we must heed Paul's commands in Philippians 2, 14-16. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Listen carefully, verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. See the call to perfection, call to holiness. In the midst of a crooked, twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. It is the prayer of your elders that we who are Disciples Church are people of the Word. People who truly hold fast to the Word of life. One of the reasons why I want you to bring your Bibles to church is because I want you to get out of this thing where that's the only time you're thinking about actually picking up your Bible. See, some of you don't bring your Bibles to church because you want to be able to talk without it. You, want to be able, you don't want to have something to carry. See, I want you to be so in your Bibles regularly that it would be weird. You'd almost feel naked without it. That's why you bring your Bible to church. Why? Because with you all the time. Be- because you've gotten rid of social media to spend time in the Word. Because you've canceled Netflix and the endless stream of secular ideology and sinful nonsense to spend time in the Word. Because there's a hunger, a growing fuel that's happening, and you love being in the Word. So, of course, I bring my Bible to church. The gifted leaders of this church 
are called and appointed to equip you for the building up of the body of Christ. Listen to the passage again. He gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. What does that mean? It means you can't say, Pastor, you go get trained. You get really theologically thick and yoked, and I'll just run on your coattails. No, no, no. Is that what he said? No, no. We are to train you, equip you, encourage you until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Yes, we're called, shepherds are called to feed the sheep, to teach the word rightly and fully to the congregation. This is an essential part of it, but you must pick it up and run with it from there. I always say, I want our time in the Word on Sunday mornings to be a catalyst to your time in the Word throughout the week. And if that's not happening, then we're fundamentally missing what we're trying to do here. Because this is about training. This is about growing. You just don't put your church clothes on for a minute or a couple times a week and then do the rest of your days. No, you, you, you put it on and you keep it on. And This is who we are and this is what we do. That teaching you on Sunday morning, what we're doing right now, is the, is the grassroots, it's the foundational work of discipleship, which is the next way we mature in Christ-likeness through God's call to discipleship. Jesus pointedly commissions the church, Matthew 18, 19-20, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Our call is to raise up Christians who are spiritually mature. We are to do this through the vehicle of disciple-making. There is no priority given to the church that is greater than the making of disciples, which is why we renamed our church Disciples Church. And I was so stoked when I saw DisciplesChurch.com was for sale and we bought it. A disciple is someone who adheres to the teachings of another. It is a follower. It's a learner. To understand it in the work world, a disciple is an apprentice. For those of you who are younger in the room and kids at heart, in the Jedi world, it's a Padawan. The disciple. Applied to Christianity, a disciple is someone who is trained to be like Christ. It is the very thing we're talking about today. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Discipleship is not a journey to become like your disciple maker. If that's, all, if that's as far as you go, then you missed it. No, you, you imitate them, you learn from them, you heed their counsel so that you can be more like Christ because they are more mature in their faith walk than you are. This is why discipleship needs no regard for age. Some of you are hung up like, do I really want to let a younger man or woman be the one who spiritually disciples me? If you're asking that question, can I just lovingly say that's your pride because age has nothing to do with spiritual maturity. If you have maturing to do to be discipled so that you can be making disciples, you need to be willing to let anyone, young or old, disciple you who's ready to do that. 
within our church. Some Christians over the years have wrongly declared discipleship's just not for them. I'll come to church, I'll give, I'll serve. This thing you call discipleship is like it's just it's beyond my pay grade. I'm, and I'm going, no, it's not. Maybe leadership discipleship, some of the really deep layers of discipleship we've done to really equip our leaders, our future elders and deacons. Yeah, that's not for everyone. Not everyone's called to be a leader. But everyone is called to discipleship. Everyone is to be attentive to what they're conforming to. Do you realize you are conforming to something? You're being trained. You're conforming to the world or to Christ. Romans 12, 1 through 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. There it is again. Complete surrender, a living sacrifice which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Conformity is to act in accordance or harmony with standards, attitudes, or practices of another group or person. So I just ask you, who are you conforming to? Whose standards, attitudes, or practices are you growing to live by? It's the world or it's Christ. There's really nothing in between. We are to conform to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We are to conform to Jesus. I've really been praying, our elders have been praying that today is a significant day. You heard Elder Rob pray for it earlier today. Why? Because some of you have been on this train with us for a long time, but you still have not truly found a way and a commitment to enter into discipleship. You've grown a ton. You've learned a ton. You can speak a ton. But there's a layer of, of walking together that you still need to do, and it will impact then how you do that with others. So that, that starts here on Sundays, and then, it's, and then another layer of that is with Wednesday nights and being known in a group setting. And then there's other layers of really walking with mature believers where that takes on some other additional forms of, of study and, and life mentorship unto Christ-likeness. We're saved to be conformed to Christ-likeness. This is major. You don't get to treat this one as kind of like on the sidelines. Romans 8.29, For those whom God foreknew, He also predestined to what? Predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. I want you to see that God did not save you to enjoy Him, but then to kind of just stay where you're at until you get to like eternity. No, He, he saved you to enjoy Him and to be with Him forever, but but to mature into Christ's likeness for the sake of discipleship and testimony of what He wants to do in and through us in these days. What does discipleship look like? It, it most essentially looks like you humbly, actively, regularly inviting a more mature brother or sister into your life where they don't you know, like just do lunch with you once a month. No, they like know you. They're praying with you. They, they're walking with you. You listen to them. You, you don't like go like, oh, no, here's the stuff I don't really want. To. No, no, you point me to Christ. Point me to the Word. Like, I'm in. I'm here. 
For years, we've taught there's two key focuses for New Testament Christian discipleship. Biblical knowledge and sanctification and maturity. Notice that today's verse deals with both. Until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. That's a growing in biblical knowledge. To mature manhood in the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's sanctification and maturity. So we're, we're studying together. We're committed to Sunday mornings where you're hearing the teaching of your shepherds in sound doctrine through the Scriptures. You're learning the truth of Scripture explicitly and implicitly. What it teaches. What it commands us. Sunday sermons, midweek gathering, we take a systematic theological approach to that to equip you with these truths. And then there's one-on-one or group layer additional ways of studying together. So that's that biblical knowledge, but the sanctification maturity is more of the mentoring, the walking together in small groups or a one-on-one setting unto Christ-likeness. See the we in this process. You, you don't do this alone. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. When each member of the church is maturing, the church matures. God's goal is the body of Christ is showing a united testimony and and a progressive maturing that then is impacted in how we disciple others and generations and those outside of us in the testimony of the gospel. Church, we're in this together. I want to grow with you. Some of you are stuck. You've got something that's got you stuck and you are guilty of waiting way too long to deal with it. It's time. It's time to get unstuck. Some of you are on the sideline in a weird way. You're not plugged in in a weird way. It's time to get plugged in. It's time, it's time to, be, to forgive the hurts. It's time to open the door and, and to finish your race being all in. We're meant to grow together. Part of a flock. Under your shepherd's teaching. Walking with more mature believers. God is doing this in our church. And it is amazing to see the fruit of it. I want each of you to be part of this. To close today, I want to share with you the benediction we read in the final words of the book of Hebrews. May it be a great encouragement to you as we move into this next week and begin to really put on training, spiritual maturity daily that God wants for us in these ways. Will you stand with me as I read God's Word as we prepare to sing together? Hebrews 13, 20-21 Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, we thank You for this time, this hour You've given us to gather, to fellowship, to pray, to study Your Holy Word. We love You. It is our joy to belong to You. It's our joy to be used by You for Your purposes, Your appointments, the suffering that is before us that we might be in the middle of, that we'd steward it well. That we would join Job in saying, You give and you take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
that we would we would recognize your call to the appointment of our days, the priority, the, the cherishing of your word, the, the practice of discipleship, the humility we must begin to have more and more to really be shaped and grown, to move from where we're at. Take us forth, Lord. Mature this body. Ready us to help raise up and mature a next generation to be a true light in the darkness those who are dead and need salvation, those whom you'll save to be forever part of our family. Lord, we are joyful to worship you now. Jesus Christ, our King. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.